Okay, so we are in a somewhat of a series, I guess, um, that I started last week. It, this, is, this is a springboard out of Isaiah chapter 10. We used Isaiah chapter 10 where we are in our expository study, our verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study through the book of Isaiah. We're in Isaiah chapter 10. Uh, and in verses 20 to 23, it talks about the remnant that will be saved in Isaiah 10, 22 to, uh, 20 to 23, the remnant that will be saved during the time of Jacob's trouble or the time of the tribulation period. And so, um, you know, just, just to sort of lay a foundational groundwork of our uh, theological position it, that we believe we are not Israel. We don't believe in replacement theology. We don't think the church is Israel. We think Israel is Israel, and God still has plans for Israel that he has to fulfill. Promises, covenants, prophecies, and so forth. Many, many, many prophecies that have not yet been fulfilled that God will fulfill to the nation of Israel. We don't think we are Israel. Many denominational churches and many of the old churches, old denominational churches, uh, they thought the church replaced Israel. It's called replacement theology. The churches that came out of the Reformation, the Lutheran Church and many of the other churches that came out uh, of the, uh, the Presbyterian Church and so forth, that came out of the Reformation, much like the Roman Catholic Church, much like the Anglican Church, the Orthodox Church, some of the older churches, they didn't quite understand how God was still going to fulfill his promises to Israel because Israel was out of their land. They'd been basically out of their land since 132 AD when the Romans drove them out to all the nations of the earth. And so the church thought, well, how could all all of these prophecies for Israel be literal, a literal Israel in the literal land, in the literal city of Jerusalem with a literal Messiah coming down on the literal Mount of Olives. So they didn't believe it could be literal because it just didn't seem that it could happen. So they thought that the church had replaced Israel as God's chosen people. Not so. God set the nation of Israel aside, as we're going to see here this morning, and now he's working through the church, which is Jew and Gentile. National Israel is a separate group that God has put aside while he's dealing with the church age. When the church age is done and completed, he will pivot back to Israel and he will fulfill all the rest of his promises and prophecies to the nation of Israel, the literal, physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, in the New Testament, Paul the Apostle was very passionate about this, actually. Uh, and he left no doubt where he stood on this. He believed that God was going to save all of Israel someday, his brothers, the Jews. He had such a heart for the Jews, uh, but really he was called to be the apostle to, to the Gentiles more than to the Jews. The Jews were always chasing him around to try and kill him. Uh, because he was one of their Pharisees, one of their leaders, and then he became a Christian, and then they wanted to, to wipe him off the map. Uh, but his, his heart was so broken for his countrymen. He wanted to see all of Israel saved, to come to faith in Christ. And, and Paul says this in Romans chapter 9 and verse 1. He says, I tell the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart, for I wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God 
Amen. And so he, his heart was for the Jews, for his countrymen, for his brethren, for the Israelites, the physical, literal Jews. The same Jews uh, that Hitler was trying to exterminate. You know, the Jews are a unique people. Uh, wherever they go, they're hated for no reason throughout all of their history. It's, it's just amazing. It, it, you know, we're kind of starting to see this now in America. Uh, any, any country, any nation that turns against the Jews and becomes openly anti-Semitic will eventually begin to turn against the church because it is satanic to hate the Jews just because they're Jewish. It is satanic and it is evil. Anti-Semitism is very, very evil, has no place uh, in the church. Sadly, uh, the church has shed a lot of Jewish blood throughout its history. Certainly not God's desire that that happen. Uh, the Roman Catholic Church through the Inquisitions, the Spanish Inquisitions, earlier the Crusades where they were going down there, the Knights Templar and uh, all of the Knights going down to recapture Jerusalem from the Muslims. They killed all the Jews everywhere they went. They burned their synagogues, killed the Jews. Uh, these are Christian crusaders, supposedly, uh, because they, they blame the Jews for, for killing Christ. So uh, it, it's, it's a terrible thing what the church has done throughout our history. We have a lot of blood on our hands, actually, a lot of innocent blood on our hands, the church. Uh, but that, that wasn't God's plan. That wasn't God's will for the church to hate the Jews or for the church to persecute the Jews or for the church to drive the Jews out of their, uh, out of, out of their nations. But that's what's happened throughout the last 2,000 years of history. Everywhere the Jews have gone, and they've gone to all the corners of the earth, actually, uh, they have been persecuted. And they've been blamed for things, and they have been uh, falsely accused of things, and, and, and they have been prejudiced against. Yet Paul the Apostle, who was Jewish, by the way, uh, the Bible is a Jewish Bible. Even the New Testament is a Jewish Bible. It's Jewish writers who wrote, Jesus was Jewish. He wasn't a Gentile. Uh, all the apostles were Jewish. These people were Jews. And so, um, you know, the church is made up of Jew and Gentile, but God still has a plan for national Israel, even uh, Israel who has rejected Christ. Now, I'm not saying that the Jews are saved. There's no salvation apart from Jesus Christ. But that doesn't mean that God is not going to fulfill his covenantal promises to the nation of Israel when Christ comes back the second time and save the Jews that are alive on earth at that time. That's going to be the national salvation of Israel when Jesus Christ returns to the earth and we will not be here. The church epoch or church age or church dispensation or church economy is going to be over when the rapture happens and we are taken to heaven to be with Jesus. Then God is again going to fulfill his covenantal promises and he's going to redeem and save national Israel. This is New Testament. Romans chapter 11, verse 1. I'm going to read this whole chapter to you because it's all really speaking about this issue of what God's plan is for the nation of Israel who has rejected Christ. He says in verse 1, I say then, Romans 11, 1, Has God cast away his people? Certainly not. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. And I alone am left and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? 
I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal or Baal. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. What then? Verse 7. Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Just as it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened so they do not see and bow down their back always. And so uh, God is talking about the remnant that is being preserved and saved, the remnant that are believing on Christ at this time, the remnant that, that is being saved according to the election of grace. But then he's again talking about uh, the rest of Israel. And he says, Israel has not obtained what it seeks to elect. The remnant have obtained it. The rest were blinded. National Israel was blinded, just as it is written. God has given them over to a spirit of stupor. So they rejected Christ, and then God blinded their eyes as a nation. This is national Israel, the religious and political leaders of the nation of Israel, not individual Jews. Individual Jews can become Christians. But the nation of Israel is not a Christian nation. It's a Jewish nation. And they have rejected Jesus Christ. And Paul says it's because their eyes have become blind. They don't see the truth about who Jesus is. Now he continues in verse 11 of Romans 11. He says, I say then, have they, national Israel, stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fail to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. So Israel has stumbled, they're blinded, they rejected Christ. Does that mean God's done with them? If I, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall, that, that they stumbled too bad and too badly and God's not going to restore them? He says, certainly not. God still has a plan for talking about national Israel. He says, but through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Verse 12, now if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches to the Gentiles... How much more their fullness, a future salvation for national Israel. He says, for I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry, if by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are of my flesh and save some of them. Those who are of his flesh would have been his literal physical brethren, the Jews. For if they're being cast away is the reconciling of the world. What will their acceptance be but life from the dead? So he's holding out the possibility that one day they're going to be saved. One day they're going to believe on Jesus, the nation of Israel. For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive tree, speaking to the Gentiles, not, not Jewish people, we weren't part of the original covenants made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree. Do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. 
you will then say, branches were broken off that I might have been grafted in. Well said. Because of unbelief, they were broken off, and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, speaking of Israel, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and the severity of God. On those who fell, severity, but toward you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, speaking of Israel, they will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature in a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceit or your own opinion that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. You see, God has a plan for Israel. God has a plan for Israel. The church has not replaced Israel. God has set Israel aside. He's going to fulfill his promises to them right now. He's working through the church age. So there is a partial blindness that's happened to the nation of Israel. They're blinded because they rejected the Messiah when he came. Until the time of the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So when the last Gentile gets saved, believes in Christ, apparently that's going to be the time where God tells, the Father tells the Son, go get your bride, go get your church. He's going to come and take us to heaven. And then God is going to once again work to save national Israel. And they're going to have to believe on Jesus, which they will do. Verse 26 says, And so all of Israel will be saved, as it is written. The deliverer will come out of Zion, or Jerusalem, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Jacob is another name for Israel. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Whose sins is he going to take away? National Israel, the Jews, the ones who have right now are are rejecting Jesus Christ. He's going to save them when he returns to set up his kingdom. So all of Israel will be saved. So, you know, again, if you don't believe in a future salvation for Israel, you have a big problem doctrinally and theologically because the Bible says all of Israel is going to be saved someday in the future. And this is the New Testament, not just the Old Testament. He continues in verse 28 after talking about national Israel after the fullness of the Gentiles. The last Gentile gets saved. The rapture happens. And then God is going to save all of Israel. And and he's quoting here from, uh, he's quoting here from Psalm 14 7 and Isaiah 59, 20 and 21, uh, here in uh, 26 and 27 of Romans 11. He continues in verse 28. Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Now, we like to quote that scripture when somebody's fallen out of ministry, or maybe they stumbled into sin, and, you know, you want to encourage them to get back up and get back 
to the fight and get back to serving the Lord. And we tell them the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. And truly, that's true. If God's called you into ministry, I believe that is an irrevocable calling. But literally, he's not talking about that here. He's not talking about the calling of God upon a pastor or a deacon or a worship leader or missionary or whatever. He's talking about the gifts and the calling of God that God made these promises to national Israel. They're irrevocable. God can't break his word. He cannot break his promises to the Jews. He has to fulfill his promises to Israel. Otherwise, God is a liar. If God doesn't fulfill his promises to Israel, what are you saying about God? You're saying he doesn't keep his promise. He doesn't keep his word. And of course, that's blasphemy. He says, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Speaking about the gift and the calling of God upon the nation of Israel. He says, for as you were once disobedient to God yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience, even so these also have now been disobedient, that through the mercy shown you, they may also obtain mercy. For God has committed them to all disobedience, that he might have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past or beyond our finding out. God's ways are higher than our ways. His mind, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We, we, we can't know the, 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 the mind of God. His mind is too great for us. He's um, uh, omniscient. He knows everything. We're so limited on what we know. We know so little. And so he's saying the depth, the riches, both of the wisdom, the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments. His ways are beyond finding out. Beyond finding out. How's God going to do this? He's going to do it because he promises he's going to do it. Paul's saying, don't, don't get hung up on this. Don't, don't be prideful, he was saying to the Gentiles. Saying, well, the Jews were broken off. The natural olive tree branches were broken off and a wild olive tree was grafted in. He's saying, don't be high-minded against the branches. Don't be high-minded against the roots against the fatness of the roots of the olive tree of the promises of God and the covenants of God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We've been grafted in, uh, but it's, it's Israel who has the promises of God that were given to them initially. And God says if, if he wants to graft them back in again, it's going to be a very uh, amazing thing. It's going to be like, like life from, uh, from the grave, a resurrection when the nation of Israel believes on Jesus Christ and national Israel is saved. Now, there are promises of God in the Old Testament that he made to Israel. These are covenants or promises that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then to the Jews, Abraham's descendants in the flesh. Last week, we looked at the different uh, uh, words f- uh, for dispensation, uh, e- economies, or, or epochs, or eras, how God has, has made different sort of um, administrations with man over time. And, and I'm not going to go too deep into this. We could spend a lot of time on this, actually. I just want to look at just, just the promises of God that he made to national Israel that he will uh, fulfill one day, which is national salvation for the Jews. Genesis chapter 12, when God called Abram from the Ur of the Chaldees. Interestingly, that Abram was not um, a Jew. There were no Jews at this time. They were just people. But, but God called Abram from 
uh, Babylon, really, or Assyria, the Ur of the Chaldees, to come to the promised land, and he was going to make a new nation out of this man. So Abraham uh, was, was a Gentile, uh, and God called him to make a covenant with him to make a, a, a nation out of him that God would work with to reveal himself to the world. So the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country, Genesis 12, 1, from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, this is the Abrahamic covenant. This is the covenant of promise that God made and the dispensation of the promise that God made to the nation of Israel. God gave him several promises here. He says, if you, if you obey me, if you leave your country, the Ur of the Chaldees, Assyria, or Babylon, come uh, from your father's house to a land that I'm going to show you. So he had to step out in faith and, and go to the promised land. He says, I will make you a great nation. So that's a promise. God said, Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Uh, did, did God fulfill that promise? Indeed, he did. Israel became one of the greatest nations. Matter of fact, the nation of Israel has influenced the whole world, actually, uh, uh, through, through the coming of the Messiah. But God made them a great nation. I'll make you a great nation. He says, I will bless you and make your name great. Now, believe it or not, Abraham is probably the most popular person on planet Earth when it comes to religion. All of the monotheistic religions, which would include the Jews the Christians, and the Muslims, they all revere Abraham as their founder. So God says, I am going to make your name great. Now, did God make Abraham's name great? He certainly did. The uh, Muslims revere Abraham, the Jews revere Abraham, and we revere Abraham. And so uh, through, through those three monotheistic religions, Abraham's name is great all over the world. He says, and you shall be a blessing. He says, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so the the other promise here that he gives him is that you're going to be a blessing, and all the families of the earth are going to be blessed because of you. Now, did this happen? Yes, through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came through the nation of Israel as a son of Israel, as a child born to, uh, to Jews in Israel, in, in uh, uh, the area of Jerusalem and Bethlehem. And so because of Jesus, this prophecy is fulfilled. All the nations of the earth, and the gospel has gone to all the nations, guys. It's, it's really only happened in the last 20 years through the advent of the internet and technology and so forth, translations of Bibles into Languages in Papua New Guinea that weren't even written. They were spoken dialects. And so, but now Wycliffe and other Bible translators have gone into these last unreached people groups and translated the gospel into their language. They create a written language from a spoken language with these uh, indigenous tribes in the jungles and so forth. And, and then they share the gospel with them. And so uh, this, this has been fulfilled. All the families of the earth, the gospel has gone to the whole earth. Uh, and, and that is... Abraham's seed. It's Abraham's descendant come through his loins. And so he says, uh, also, I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse him who curses you. You look at Israel's history. Even the nations that judged Israel, that came against them, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, Egyptians, and others, uh, 
God would eventually punish the nations who punished his people. Um, and, and so it, it is true. I will bless those who bless you and curse him who curses you. Uh, we should be a blessing to the nation of Israel. We should, the church should be a blessing to the Jews, even if they're unbelieving, even if they don't believe in Christ. Because God says, I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And so um, I think it's very, very important as we have an election coming up, not to talk politics, but I will say this. It's one of the top three big reasons that I vote for somebody. There's three big reasons I look at when I'm voting. I don't vote necessarily political party or, you know, uh, uh, always aligning with, with one political party, although in California you don't have much of a choice if you're a Christian. But, um, you know, the, the, the idea is, is that if you have a politician or elected official who is going to stand for life in the womb, okay, so someone who is, is going to be against abortion and murdering babies in the womb, that's number one for me. Number two is a politician who believes in the nuclear family, who opposes same-sex marriage, gay marriage, transgender, you know, uh, influences in the culture and things because, you know, kids can't determine at five years old they want to be a girl if they were born a boy. And we shouldn't tell them that's okay. That's not okay. So the traditional family, the nuclear uh, family of, of a heterosexual man and woman, monogamous marriage for life, and that family u- unit. So that's a big one for me as well. The third thing that I look for is what is their position toward the nation of Israel. And I think that God has blessed our country. If you study history, when, when the British Empire was sending missionaries all over the world, the Zionist movement kind of was created... Uh, Theodore Herzl and the others that came out of Britain in the late, mid to late 1800s, the Zionist movement to go back and have a promised land because they needed a promised land. They were persecuted everywhere they went in the world. There was nowhere safe for the Jews to be. And often it was the churches that were driving them away and persecuting them everywhere they went. They needed a homeland. And when uh, Britain, Great Britain, was supporting the Jews on their mission, the Zionist movement, encouraging them to go and take back their promised land the Great British Empire was the greatest empire in the history of the world in the, in the 19th century, the 1800s. The sun never set on the British Empire. I mean, they controlled 40% of the world's population. The, this little nation uh, there, this little island nation of Great Britain controlled half the world through their dominion, through their empire. And at this time, they were blessing Israel. What's interesting is when they turned against Israel after World War I, after the Balfour Declaration, and uh, you know they were trying to parcel up the Middle East after World War I, they broke up the Ottoman Turkish Empire and the British Empire and the Allied forces who won World War I to carved up the Middle East and decided what was going to be what, who was going to run which nations, and so forth. And uh, at that point, they really began to have a bias against Israel. After World War I, Brit- the British... Uh, government turned against the nation of Israel because they wanted the oil from the Palestinians and the Arab peoples, and the Jews didn't have any oil uh, in the Promised Land. Matter of fact, the Jews really didn't have a nation at that time. It was the British mandate. The British controlled what they call Palestine after World War One. The Ottoman Turks had controlled 
uh, Palestine or Israel for the prior four or five hundred years, and they were Muslims. So now you have British, the British mandate, they're in charge of security and, and so forth there uh, in Israel, but they sided with the Muslims. They started, sided with the Arab peoples as the Arab peoples rebelled against uh, the Jews. The British were there and they did not keep the peace. They didn't protect the Jews. They let the Jews just kind of flounder uh, as the Arab nations were trying to drive them into the Mediterranean Sea because the British wanted the oil from Saudi Arabia and from the oil producing com uh, countries because of the Industrial Revolution. And so they really uh, uh, turned their back on God's people Israel. And it's interesting that World War II almost completely destroyed Great Britain. World War II, just a few decades after World War I, uh, London was burned to the ground practically. I mean, it was bombed by the Germans, uh, Bl Blitzkrieg and so forth, uh, the Luftwaffe and, uh, you know, the, the London bombings at night and, and, and everything. Uh, it, it, was, it was only because of the United States, actually, that, that Britain didn't lose World War II to the Germans. It's because we entered into the war that we saved uh, the Allied alliance against the Axis uh, of, of evil of that time. And, and so we step in, uh, Britain comes down as, as the world power, uh, their empire is dwindling at this point and shrinking all over the world, nations are rebelling, India, China, and so forth, all these British empires are rebelling in East Africa and so forth against the British throne, and they're taking autonomy over their own nation and pushing the British out, and the British empire has not stopped shrinking since this time, actually, uh, but... The United States became the biggest supporter of the nation of Israel in the history of the world. We decided to support Israel after World War II, after the Holocaust. The Jews wanted a homeland. They wanted to be somewhere where they wouldn't be persecuted, where they wouldn't be marked, where they wouldn't have to wear stars on their chest and put in, be put into trains and ghettos and concentration camps and sent into gas chambers. They wanted their own land. They wanted their own autonomy. They wanted their own security. They wanted their own military. And so the United States stood up after World War II. We had empathy on the Jews because of the Holocaust. And we were the victors of World War II. The war wasn't fought here. We may have lost 500,000 plus uh, 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 military personnel in that war, World War II. But the war didn't, was not fought on our soil. Uh, Europe was destroyed by World War II. Everywhere you went in Europe it, Europe, it was destroyed. So we were like the victors. And to the victors go the spoils, and so we really took over as the dominant world empire after World War II that coincided with us supporting nascent Israel in its desire to become a nation again after nearly 2,000 years of being scattered to the four winds and scattered to the whole world. We stepped up, we supported them, we supported them militarily, we supported them against all the Arab nations that attacked them, 1948. May 14th is when Israel declared their independence, uh, and, and then all of these Arab nations came against them. We were the ones, the only nation that was supporting Israel, giving them arms and military uh, advice and things like this. And so after we uh, uh, helped Europe to win World War I, the British and the French and so forth, or allied nations, to, or World War II, then we, then we start helping Israel right after World War II to formulate their nation, uh, and Israel becomes a nation. They survived the attacks of all the Arab nations on the war of, uh, in the War of Independence in 1948. All of a sudden, we become the most powerful nation in the history of the world. I don't think that's a coincidence. 
before World War II, we were not the most powerful nation in the world. We were an upcoming nation. We certainly were not an old European power uh, like the kings of Europe and so forth. And that all transferred after World War II when we came out of the Great Depression. We came out of World War II uh, as a nation that had been in a depressed state for decades uh, and, and all of a sudden, we are the powerful nation uh, on earth, the United States of America. And again, I don't think that that is a coincidence. I think that this is what God promised. I will bless those who bless Israel. I will curse those who curse Israel. I believe this is true for individuals, which is why we should treat the Jews with love, respect, and kindness, not persecute them or call them Christ killers or anything terrible like that that's happened throughout church history. We should love them to Christ and uh, do good to them, be kind to them, and pray for them, and minister to them, and witness to them, and so forth individually, but also as a nation. We should support the nation of Israel. So uh, I, you know, I have a really hard time voting for a politician who is against the nation of Israel, or who's not willing to stand with the nation of Israel, who's not willing to support the nation of Israel militarily, financially, economically, with intelligence, uh, uh, you know, sharing intelligence with them, and so forth. Now, we're the greatest nation in the history of the world, but if we turn our backs on Israel, God no doubt will turn his back on us as a nation, just like he's done for every other nation that's helped Israel like Britain did, and then turned against Israel, God turned uh, against them. In Genesis chapter 13, in verse 14, God gives this promise of the promised land to Abraham. Genesis 13, verse 14. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward and westward, for all the land which you see, I will give to you and to your descendants forever. I'm going to read that again. The Lord said to Abram, Genesis 13, 14, after his nephew Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes now, look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward and westward, as far as your eyes can see, he says, for all the land which you see I will give to you and to your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth so that if a man could number the dust of the earth and your descendants could also be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width and I will give it to you. So God is making uh, an eternal covenant and this is an unconditional covenant. It's an unconditional covenant. God doesn't say, if you do this, then I will give your descendants the land. Or if you obey my future law, then I will give you the land. Or if you believe in the Messiah when he comes, you know, thousands of years later, 2,000 years later, then I will give you the land. It's not that kind of a promise. It's not a conditional promise. This is unconditional. If it was conditional, there would be an if in this promise. If you do this, then I will do this. There is no if here. This is an unconditional promise that God cannot break because God cannot lie. So he says, all this land which you see, I'm going to give you and to your descendants. That's his federal, physical, literal descendants. Those that would come forth from his loins. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel, and so forth. And he says, I'm going to give it to you and your, your descendants forever. Forever. 
So if you say Israel doesn't have a right to that land and you call yourself a Christian, you really have a problem with what the Bible says. Because that land belongs to the Jews. The promised land belongs to the Jews. The physical, literal descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And just so there wasn't any confusion, uh, because of course Abraham had more than one son, um, you know, his first son was actually uh, Ishmael, who was born to Hagar, who was the Egyptian handmaiden of his wife Sarah. And they tried to take, uh, you know, uh, uh, take the, the plans of God and fulfill it themselves uh, instead of waiting on God to fulfill the promise of a son, uh, to fulfill all of these uh, covenantal promises that God gave to Abraham. So Abraham sinned. He took uh, a woman, married her as a second wife, conceived and bore a son. Hagar's son was Ishmael. And uh, Ishmael is the father of the Arab peoples, actually. Um, but it wasn't that the promise was going to go through Ishmael. This covenant was not going to go to Israel, the land, or to uh, Ishmael. It was not going to go to Ishmael. Uh, it was going to go to Isaac, the second son of Abraham. The first son was the son of the flesh with Hagar. The second son was the son of the spirit uh, with Sarah, Isaac. And so God wanted to make it very clear that the covenant that he made with Abraham and to Abraham's seed was not going to go through the line of Ishmael or the Arab peoples. It was going to go through the line of Isaac. And so we read this in Genesis chapter 26. And verse 2, God confirms the covenant he made with Abraham to Abraham's son Isaac. Genesis 26, 2. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your descendants, I give you all these lands. And I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of the heavens. And I will give to your descendants all these lands. And in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Once again, this is an unconditional promise. It's not a if you do this, then I'll do that for you sort of a covenant. This is unconditional, just like the promise he made with Isaac's dad, Abraham. He's, so God is establishing the line is not going to go through Ishmael or any of Abraham's other sons, but the line, the physical descendants of Abraham uh, and the covenant of God is going to pass to his son, Isaac. Isaac had two sons, Esau and Jacob. Actually, Esau was the firstborn, but the promise of God and the covenant did not go to Esau. The promise went to the secondborn, the second twin, Jacob. In Genesis chapter 28 and verse 13, we read this. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, and to the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. So God makes it very clear. This unconditional promise of the blessing, the nation, 
and the land of Israel, and ultimately the Messiah that would come through the nation of Israel, was passed from Abraham to his son Isaac to Isaac's son Jacob. Jacob's name was later changed to Israel. Jacob had 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel. And so these are unconditional covenants God made for the nation, for the blessing, and for the land to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Unconditional. They didn't have to do anything. God was making this promise to them. Now, after this dispensation of the promise to Israel, we have the dispensation of the law that came uh, to Israel on Mount Sinai. And uh, under the law, because really Israel never really um, served the Lord before the law came. I mean, look at the time of the judges. Uh, Israel was, was a mess there uh, in the promised land in the time of the judges because they were going after all kinds of other gods and so forth. And so God makes a covenant with them through his law in the book of Exodus. And so this is the dispensation of the law. Initially, uh, it was a dispensation of the promise. Now, now God makes a covenant through the law with uh, the nation of Israel through Moses. Exodus 19, verse 4. You start at the end of verse 3. <clears throat> Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell to the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Verse 8 says, Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord, and the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in thick cloud, and, and, and so forth. So this is, this is a covenant that God is making now based on the law. <clears throat> Excuse me, the law that is coming uh, through Moses on Mount Sinai. First, <clears throat> the Ten Commandments and then the Mosaic Law. <clears throat> and basically, now this is a conditional covenant. Notice the difference. He says, if, if you will, verse 5, this is conditional now, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all the people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. <clears throat> These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. All the people said, we will do everything. We agree with this covenant. We agree that we're going to keep this law. Whatever the law is, we're going to keep it, the nation says. So they entered into a covenant with God, a conditional covenant, which they broke. They broke the conditional covenant because no man can keep the law perfectly. That's why Jesus Christ had to come to fulfill the law on our behalf so that we could then be those who have fulfilled the law, not ourselves, but through us being in Christ, he fulfilled the law perfectly. And if we're in him, then we have fulfilled the law through Christ. But this is a conditional covenant which they broke, the dispensation of the law. This does not negate the prior unconditional covenant that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the important thing here. He still has the promise to, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob of this eternal forever covenant for the land of Israel that God has made. And he will not uh, lie. God will not break his word. Now in Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 29, we read this. 
Oh, that they had such a heart in them, God says, that they would hear me and always keep my commandments, that it may be well with them and with their children forever. And so it was God's heart that the people would at least make the attempt to obey him and to keep the law uh, of Moses, the Ten Commandments and then the Mosaic Law. Uh, And of course they failed miserably because none none of us can keep the law uh, perfectly because none of us are perfect. And so really the law, the New Testament tells us that the law came to condemn mankind of his uh, self-righteousness, of his Uh, piousness. Also, the law came to establish morality. Without the law, there's no morality. There's just chaos, like it was in the time of the judges, uh, when every man was doing what was right in his own eyes. Men are wicked. We need laws. Otherwise, we'll just destroy ourselves and destroy one another, like, you know, worse than the animal kingdom. So we need laws. But if you want to have a relationship with God through keeping the Ten Commandments perfectly and never breaking any one of the Ten Commandments in your whole life— you're going to fail because you can't do it. I can't do it because we are inherently sinful people. So God promised to give Israel a new covenant because they couldn't keep the old covenant of the law. The promises of God still stand. They're eternal forever that God made to Abraham. The the covenant of the law, they failed. And so God tells the nation of Israel through the prophet Jeremiah this about the new covenant which is coming. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. Remember, Israel is the bride of God the Father, Jehovah, The church is the bride of the Son, Jesus Christ. He says, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make, verse 33, with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Who is this promise made to? It's made to the house of Israel. They're the fatness of the root that we have been grafted into, according to Paul the Apostle in Romans chapter 11. We ought not to be high-minded against the roots. We're grafted in. We're the wild olive branches. They are the fatness of the root of God's promise, his covenantal promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We've been grafted in. But he says, I am going to make this covenant with the house of Israel. And I'm going to put my law in their minds. I'm going to write it on their hearts. I'll be their God. They shall be my people. Every man is going to know the Lord at this time. They're going to all know me, he says, from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I'll remember no more. We're enjoying this right now as the church because we've been grafted in. And so we're enjoying this new covenant. There's many Jews. There's many Jews here that are attending our church. People that are born Jewish, raised Jewish, maybe Orthodox Jewish, and they became Christians, believed on Yeshua, the Messiah, the Mashiach, Jesus Christ. Uh, and they're part of the church, and they're experiencing this right now. But one day, the whole house of Israel is going to experience this covenantal promise from God. And if you, if you doubt that God is going to do this, or you think somehow God's going to replace Israel with the church, God says this in verse 35. 
He says, thus says the Lord who gives the sun for a light by day and the ordinances of the moon and the stars for a light by night, who disturbs the sea and its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. Verse 36. If those ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. Forever. Thus says the Lord, verse 37, If heaven can be measured above, and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, says the Lord. So God knew like this was going to come up later in history. And he's saying, look, just in case you're curious, I've made an unconditional promise. I can't break my word. I'm going to fulfill my covenant to my servant Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, and the nation of Israel. And he says, and just so you know, you know, God knew the future. He knew there was going to be people coming along and saying, well, God's done with Israel. They rejected Christ. He's replaced Israel with the church. God says, no. He says, the, I give the sun for light by day. I have the moon and the stars for a light by night. He says, if those ordinances, the sun, the moon, and the stars depart from before me, says the Lord, then and only then the seed of Israel shall cease from being a nation before me forever. If heaven can be measured, they can't even measure heaven with all of our satellites and technology. They keep saying it's bigger than they think it is. Now it's like 95 billion light years across. It used to only be 30 billion light years across and 12 billion light years across. The, the bigger satellites we put out there with the, with the bigger uh, telescopes and so forth out there in space, we see that the, the universe is, is expansive. I mean, it's like it's almost unending. Uh, now the scientists believe that the universe wraps around to itself. So if you went one direction for, you know, uh, 95 billion light years traveling at the speed of light, you're going to end up right back where you started. Like the earth, if you get on a plane and fly east, you're going to end up eventually coming right back to the place you started. Uh, so God is saying, if you could really measure the universe and understand how big the universe is, or if you could search out what's underneath your feet, the foundations of the earth, we don't even know what's underneath us, you know, uh, the crust of the earth and, and the core of the earth and so forth. He says, if you could do this, then I'm going to cast off all the seed of Israel for all they've done. Did the sun come up this morning? Sure did. Did the moon and stars come out last night? Yep. Have we been able to measure the universe? No. Do we know what's underneath our feet to the core of the earth? Really? No. So God is saying, I still have a plan for Israel. It's an eternal promise. And he uses the word forever. Only God can do something forever. Man can't do anything forever. We die. We fail. But God says, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it. And he will fulfill his covenantal promises to the physical, literal descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because God cannot lie. In Jeremiah chapter 33 and verse 20, I'll read this to you quickly. He reiterates uh, this promise again. He says this, Jeremiah thirty-three twenty: If you could break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so there will be no day and no night in their season, then my covenant may also be broken with David my servant, so that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne. And with the Levites, the priests, and my ministers... As the host of heaven cannot be numbered, nor the sand of the sea measured, so I will multiply the descendants of David my servant and the Levites who minister to me. This is an eternal covenant that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he will fulfill. 
And I wanted to get into, we don't have time this morning, we'll pick up here next week. I wanted to uh, get into the tribulation period and what's promised for the nation of Israel in uh, the 70 uh, weeks of Daniel. And, and I'm going to take some time on that because I don't want to rush through the 70 weeks. It's a pretty fascinating prophecy there in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 27 about the tribulation period, about the coming Antichrist, about the rejection of the Messiah when he comes, and then the parenthetical church age uh, that, that is just kind of like a mystery to the Old Testament uh, people. But today we look back and we say that we are... Uh, you know, just kind of a, a parenthesis, as it were, in God's prophetic timeline for the nation of Israel. God has pivoted away from them, turned to the church. He's going to finish the church when the last Gentile gets saved, take us to heaven. He's going to pivot back to Israel, and he's going to fulfill the rest of his covenantal promises, eternal forever promises for the nation that he has made to them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God. We thank you, Lord, that you cannot lie and you never break your word. We thank you for the nation of Israel, Lord. We, we, we bless them, Lord God. Uh, we thank you for President Trump moving our embassy to Jerusalem and supporting the nation of Israel and helping them to make peace with their Arab neighbors. Uh, we thank you, Father God, for bringing Israel back from the dead, the resurrection of the nation of Israel from the dead, the dry bones. Prophecy of Ezekiel 37 has been fulfilled in our lifetime. And we thank you, Lord, that you are one day going to come back, as we read in Romans 11, and all of Israel on that day will be saved. Lord, help us to be a blessing to the Jews. Help us to be a blessing to Israel. Help us to understand these uh, somewhat controversial and, and maybe even confusing subjects, Lord, so that we can really know your heart here. And we thank you, Lord, that you keep your promises to us and you will keep your promises to save the Jews. Bless us this week, Father. Help us. It's been such a crazy week uh, last week, and we just pray for a good week this week. Help them to put out these fires, Lord. Bring rain on these fires, we pray, in Oregon and Washington and Northern California. Put these fires out, Lord. Have mercy on us, Lord. We know we don't deserve it. We're a wicked people, but we cry out to you for mercy, Lord. Bless your people, I pray. Bless our week. Use us this week in Jesus' name. Amen. We all want to thank you for listening. If this message has blessed you, as we all pray that it has, send the link to this podcast to your friends. Working together, we can get Michael's teaching of the whole of God's inerrant word to all those who hunger to hear it. If you would like to see this ministry expand to reach even more of the broken and lost, if you have questions, comments, and prayer requests, Email us at coahpodcast at gmail.com. We would be honored to pray for you, as we hope you are praying for us. Good day and God bless from City on a Hill Church to Hatchapi, California.